Hello and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Hannah and thanks for joining us for our latest fortnightly episode. In this episode, I'm talking to Jasmine Taylor, one of the top telemark skiers in the world. Hi, Jazz. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, I understand you're quite a busy lady. Yeah, this time of year I do tend to be. Summer's a bit more quiet, but yeah, it's all ramping up again now. So just just give us a, a little intro into who you are and uh, what you do. My name is Jasmine Taylor. I mean, most people call me Jazz. Uh, I compete for Great Britain in telemark skiing and I follow the World Cup circuit each winter. It's pretty much me. What is telemark skiing? So telemark skiing is a discipline of skiing where you have a free heel so rather than the normal alpine technique where you have a fixed heel and you kind of have a squat position side to side when turning with telling mark you actually create a lunge position so the free heel allows you to lift the back leg or the inside foot of the inside ski and um, yeah, you like more lunge from side to side than squat. So I guess that's the main difference. So what difference does it make in terms of how fast you go or where you can ski and stuff like that? In racing terms, a telemark racer would be slower than an alpine skier comparatively in, in the same discipline, just because we can't put the same force through the ski. But we have a greater range of movement and probably a few extra challenges when it comes to balance I like to think it looks really fluid and graceful and it's really fun to do it as well so yeah if you're like looking for a new challenge on skis it's it's perfect I think standing up on skis is a challenge enough for me to be honest we'll come back to how people can maybe give it a go and get involved um but how did you get into telemark skiing because it's not a thing that is really maybe popular in the UK no, it's not um well, it's not that well known even worldwide. It's a small sport. Um but I was competing in alpine racing. So as a teenager I was lucky enough to go away to a ski academy, the British Ski Academy, and do some training with those guys. And um, when I was there, we'd try other disciplines of skiing like cross country skiing, ski cross, ski jumping. Yeah, there's one occasion we tried telemark with this crazy French guy who who now happens to be the British team coach so um yeah it's been it's been a fun journey between then and now but yeah it, it all started just on a whim really so were you always pretty outdoorsy yeah as a kid I like being on my bike and climbing trees and I always had just as many guy friends as I did girlfriends and just always enjoyed being in the garden and that kind of thing so I I'd say so, yeah, probably. So so you went away on a trip and you tried Telemark and you just fell in love with it, I guess. And and then what happened? Then um this this um Frenchman that I, I just mentioned, his name is Sebastian Monsart, so Seb. Seb sort of scooped me up and said, Jazz, come and do some training and come and do some racing. And I said, Yeah, okay, that sounds that sounds great. And um, yeah, just went and did some French races and did a lot better than I kind of anticipated. And I thought, right, okay, 
maybe this is a viable option for me and kind of dedicated myself to it full time. I always had it in mind that I'd love to be the best and I always wanted to be a full time skier. So it just seemed to fit and it came along at the right time and the right person, you know, the right place as well. And, and everything just fell into place. So, yeah, this skiing career just took off, really. I mean, so many people must dream of of doing that. And, and then, you know, just from going from trying it to being invited to to do some races, realising that actually you're pretty good at it and then being selected to race for GB. How did how did all that happen? It was um, yeah, it, it was a bit like one door led to the next. And I and I just felt like I was following the road, if you know what I mean. I knew I loved it. And with skiing, when you do alpine skiing, there are many skills that transfer across. Um, and I'm also quite small in stature. I'm about 160 centimetres and I'm, yeah, I'm not a, a large person. And in Telemark, it's potentially an advantage. I kind of thought at the time having a lower centre of gravity with balance, that sort of thing. That's not necessarily the case, by the way, but it was just um, it was just my way of thinking. And I thought, yeah, do you know, I really feel like I can maybe do this and yeah, I just went for it. So was it a pretty fast rise to the top? I would say I, I possibly showed some signs of potential, but I wouldn't have said that it was a it was a fast rise to the top as such. It was more I would have a good result and then I wouldn't be able to repeat it because I wouldn't necessarily understand why I'd done well. So it's difficult to explain it on a podcast. You can obviously see me on a camera, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a steady rise. It was more yeah. up and down um, with a gradual trend upwards, probably. Yeah, that's really interesting. The idea that you'd be naturally quite good at something, but not have the awareness of what you were doing that was the quite good bit. That's a really interesting idea of of having to learn how to analyse your own movement and and figuring out the really good bit and did the the French guy was he was he coaching you through that then yeah so he's he's always been my coach Seb and um he was coaching the French team at the time and now he coaches us lot the British which we're we're very lucky to have him but I think actually with I don't know whether it's probably not a good idea to generalize but I'm going to do it anyway with British skiers we like to understand why and know why do why do you have your foot in this position why does your hand need to be there and the French come at it slightly differently they don't need to understand everything probably because they've grown up on the slopes and things just come very naturally but I'm very um, like very British in that sense that I like to understand everything I'm doing and control it and so I can replicate it and that kind of thing and Seb kind of has this ethos that it's like you got to let it go you got you can only control things up to a certain point and then you know it's instinct it's feeling based it's all these things that you can't (laughs) tuck into a box um, yeah. So when you're when you're trying to reassure yourself on a start line, and and you kind of just have to say, oh, well, you know, let's just see what happens. <laughs> it's quite difficult to get to that place, and you have to have a real sense of confidence behind you, which I obviously had much less of in the beginning. So yeah, it can be it can be um, challenging on on many levels. Sport, it's not just physical; it's it's 
all the things. Yeah, I, I wonder how many people can relate to that because I, I was nodding along then thinking back to when I was learning um, kayaking and it was a similar sort of thing. It was just like, oh, just, you know, go with the boat and feel feel the water and, and lean into where you feel like you need to and, and all of that. And I wanted to kind of understand it and I wanted, I wanted to tackle it like almost like in an academic way to, mm-hmm. to understand what was going on. And I really struggled to just relax and go with it. And as soon as I ever did just relax and go with it, it was it was so much better. But I had this sort of battle in me of, you know, the way I the way I learn how to do something is I get a book and I study a book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know whether that's like the UK. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's like the education system here sort of teaches you that this is how you learn or, yeah, anyway, it's a bit of an aside, but that just I just thought that's quite interesting to hear you as a professional skier go through some of that as well. Well, I also um, I also am a, a ski instructor and a ski coach. So I've, I've done work um, in those roles as well. And it really does show when you have a British client and when you have a French client. And I was even lucky enough to spend the summer in Australia um, coaching and instructing this. Well, their winter, but our summer. And uh, yeah, even the Australians are they don't they don't question everything like I find that British clients do and I mean not everybody but just as a general rule we really like to know where we are and know why something worked and why something didn't and you you can up to a point but that last that last little part of the performance it's like catching air you have to you have to feel that and it has to be that's the human part and um, yeah, there's there's something vulnerable in it that perhaps uh, is uh, yeah the part I find the most difficult to and the most rewarding as well when you yeah. get it right and you can't yeah. quite put your finger on why yeah yeah there's always that element of how how you know <laughs> and it's yeah the magic you just can't put your finger on but it's I think also the part that keeps you coming back and it's kind of addictive. Probably you get it with a round of golf or, yeah, kayaking, like you were saying, even trail running. I don't know. There's a certain flow you hit and you don't know how you did it. Not You can never fully control it. It's um, Yeah, yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. I, I do love it when you feel like you get to a point where you're kind of at one with the world and everything feels like it's moving really smoothly and fluidly together and you're like, oh, that's, you know, I've just got that half a second or whatever feeling like everything was in perfect synchronization um mm. I mean usually that literally lasts half a second with me and then I remember that I'm, I'm dying or I'm trying not to need a wee or whatever is going on but um yeah yeah I am yeah. <laughs> not a professional athlete for for a million reasons so so what's it like um competing for team GB well it's um yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm lucky enough to do something that I truly love and I'm totally passionate about for many reasons. And I suppose all my goals are connected to the sport, or at least all my career goals are in some way. Like, I'm, I would like to perform as an athlete. I'd like the British to do well and I'd like the sport to do well. So it's, yeah, I've actually forgotten your question because I got so into what I was talking about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> just wondering what it's like to to be a team GB athlete oh yeah it's great yeah that's okay I did answer the question yeah I mean I love it and I love that it gives me the opportunity to do what I love this podcast is created by Cicerone Press a specialist publisher of nearly 400 guidebooks to walking cycling trekking and generally having fun outdoors you can find our full range of guidebooks online at cicerone.co.uk or ask about us in your local bookshop. Our website is also a hub of all sorts of interesting stuff, including our regular newsletter, free sample routes, articles and videos. Thanks for listening. The Lionesses did so well recently and the, you know, the conversations about women in sport. I am not a fan of football at all and I watched don't even know like the final game I can't even remember if they won overall this is terrible I probably should have checked um but anyway I watched I think they did win overall and I watched that game and I wasn't paying much attention because I'm not really interested in football but I think the commentary afterwards about how difficult it used to be to become a professional female um athlete compared with now the hopefully this is going to change some of the access to sports for women and and help more women um, become professional athletes I just wondered what your thoughts were on that having having been involved in telemark for a few years at least yeah well if it if it has a positive impact that's obviously brilliant and money is you know kind of a dirty word. We don't talk about money. We don't discuss how much we earn or, you know, that it's just, it's kind of taboo. You don't talk about it, do you? And as an athlete, especially a female athlete, I think, maybe I'm wrong in saying especially a female athlete, but that's kind of my feeling. It's um, it's difficult. It's difficult sometimes to be taken seriously. It's difficult to get yourself out there and, and build a platform and if those things are difficult, then it's also difficult to generate the funds that you need in order to compete or represent your country. You know, if you're an athlete, it's it's hard going. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. You're often working very physically hard. You have a tough competition schedule and traveling you know all the training all the people that you have to deal with around that so to then have to try and generate the funds as well on top of that it's a it's a huge stress and it's um it's not a nice thing to to have to rely too heavily on any one person financially or in any way as adults we I think most of us do want to feel quite independent, but if you feel that you either have your independence or it's your sport and it's your sport and you love it, um, that's that's a tough position. So anything like the Women's World Cup, the football, anything that promotes sport in a positive light in general, and even for the guys as well, you know, skiing tr- is tricky for everybody. It's not really um, gender specific, but I would have said in football, it's it's more tricky for women to be paid correctly compared to the men. I yeah, think that's what's so shocking, isn't it? Is that in you know everybody knows the the male footballers and they're they're these celebrities and they're paid an awful lot of money and and they are kind of looked after as athletes. And then the difference in how the women are treated as footballers is, is so stark because of how the men are treated. 
I don't know whether it's the same in Telemark because Telemark is such a, a smaller sport anyway. I don't know whether there will be that difference between the male and the female. Like you said, I suppose any anything that promotes your sport and sport overall in a positive light um, for anyone, male or female, or anyone who's got barriers to to getting involved, I guess, is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So Telemark's pretty equal in terms of gender and it's just in general the sport needs as much support as it can get um so hence why i'm very grateful always to my sponsors and supporters because you do rely on that to keep doing what you're doing so yeah like the likes of my sports for instance and all these other companies that get on board and and help you out big or small it does it does go a long way yeah um, we will put a link to Maya Sports in our show notes as well so people can check them out because I'm a massive, massive fan of what they do. Um, do you want to just give a, a quick shout out to them? Well, yeah, just a huge thank you to Maya Sports just for supporting GB Telemark. The best outdoor clothing I can think of. So easy to ski in it just because it moves so well. Waterproof, great quality and looks great i think so yeah i'm really happy that we have such an awesome company on board yeah from a personal perspective i what i think is really nice is that all the qualities you describe in the clothing it's available in loads of inclusive sizes so actually although you know you were describing yourself as quite a a small person i have especially since covid become a much larger person and Mm. um but i can still get my sports clothes that fit me really really comfortably um and i had my sports kit that i took to nepal for trekking and i was really comfortable um and felt just as legitimately outdoorsy as other people because i wasn't having to wear really cheap nasty clothing just because i wasn't the size that you can get in in most outdoor shops so yeah i i, I appreciate them too anyway yeah. end end of sermon on maya sports <laughs> yeah for sure check them out, yeah yeah check them out um so what events have you got coming up what does what does the calendar look like for a telemark skier well so our first event is a fizz race that's at the beginning of december in austria so in hintertarks uh, and then we have the first World Cup. So the 6th of January is kickoff in Le Contamine in France. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a, a busy winter, especially January and March. And we have a World Championship year, which will be in Murin, Switzerland um, in March. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be, yeah, full on, like I said. So what actual events do you compete in? In Telemark, you have three disciplines, um, but a Telemark race actually comprises of four different events, or not events, sorry, but elements, if you like. Um, so you'd have a giant slalom. So here you actually need to navigate the red and the blue flags, but with the Telemark technique. And if you lose the technique or the position, or if your position's not big enough, you'll incur one second penalty per turn. So it's it's about being quick, but it's also judged. So you need to be fast, but have technical accuracy at the same time. Uh, the second element is the jump. So the jump's built like a ski jumping jump. So if you don't jump, you won't fly. But the idea is that you have to make this active move to jump. 
and then hopefully if you've jumped well enough clear the distance line and if you clear the distance line there's no time added again but if you don't clear the line you get three seconds added to your time and if you don't land telemark you get a further second added uh, so the jump's pretty much just as important um, as the giant slalom skiing section this third element is a loom so a giant bank turn where competitors have to cross their own path so it's a kind of loop-de-loop if you like and you have to yeah, cross the path you've already skied and that then leads you into the fourth element which is a skate section um so again skating is super important in telemark racing and it can win you or lose you a race so the idea is that the skiing the jumping and the skating are kind of of equal weight in the event and that the best is the one who has the average best across those three elements so yeah that's just to give you a base that in telemark racing yeah it, it comes from from the ancient history of how people would use telemark technique to walk up ski down skate jump it was kind of the all-mountain way of navigating the mountains back in the day but it's the modern reinvention of that um with the racing so yeah just give you a bit of history but we have three disciplines as well within that so a sprint which is two runs uh they're both time trials and added together that's about a minute in duration then you have a classic which is one long run that can be two, three minutes in duration. Again, it's a time trial. And then the third event is a parallel sprint. So it's a head-to-head knockout. The run is normally um, normally about 40 seconds total. And, yeah, you, first we have qualification and then it would be, say, one versus 16, two versus 15, and so on until you have an eventual first, second, third fourth and so on so i don't know why i'm surprised that it's really competitive <laughs> it's like yeah. this we're talking about <laughs> the world's greatest telemark skiers here i don't know why i'm like gasping that oh that sounds really brutal <laughs> yeah it can yeah it can be brutal but it is a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and you kind of have to see it to believe it it's um it's kind of bonkers so you must have to be like you hinted at it then but you have to be quite a broadly talented skier to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably a fair comment. Uh, but what I would say, like a kind of, it's kind of like the tri- triathlon of skiing because you have to be good enough at jumping, good enough at skating, good enough at skiing. We won't jump as well as ski jumpers. We won't skate as well as cross-country sprint skiers, but we've had to adapt it to our equipment and our environment so it's impressive it's impressive when you watch it and you see somebody clear a 30 meter jump and then land on edge in telemark and carve the next turn with their hip on the snow kind of thing you're like wow (laughs) is insane like honestly it blows my mind and i still i still watch the competitors of mine and the the men as well and i just think wow it's it's impressive it's yeah I, I still get imposter syndrome, even even now, after 10 years or, or more of doing it. So, Which, you know, it's really lovely. And I hope it comes out on the on the audio. 
but like your face just lights up when you're talking about it and it's so it's so clear that you're you are super passionate about this because you're just grinning talking about it and I I'm here thinking I don't understand half of what you just said I don't know <laughs> I don't know what the, I don't know what those words mean but she looks really happy about it so I'll just kind of nod and carry on yeah. oh that's good <laughs> I, I suppose I've got confidence that the listeners of the podcast will know fully all these skiing terms, but I've I've only ever done skiing at a, a dry ski slope uh, whilst I was supervising a group of of school kids. So yeah, I don't I don't know much about it. Um, oh, well. But does it does it does it go on TV? Again, this might be a really stupid question. Um, no, it has been on TV, but it's um, it's not regularly on TV. I had a had a clip a few years ago with Ski Sunday, which was quite cool because they gave me a, a bit of a platform there to promote. Um, but it's not on Eurosport, for instance. But we're we're hoping in the future it will make those kind of platforms. Uh, you can watch it often on. German, um, Norwegian, sorry, my mind went blank then, and Swiss or French national TV, but it's it's less common in in this country. But I'm hoping I'm hoping that'll change in the future. We used to have a live stream, which I think so when COVID happened, budgets were cut and the live stream stopped. But I think the live stream's coming back for most of the events next year, I think, at least for the world champs and a few others. So it will be it will be possible to watch the event and follow. But otherwise, if if people are interested, they should head to uh, Facebook, Instagram, and follow Fizz Telemark. So that's F I S Telemark, and you'll get all the latest news and updates, pictures, videos from from that platform. And and what about you? Are you on social media? Do you post things? I do, yeah. If people want to follow me, it's Jazz Telemark, so J-A-Z, and then Telemark. And that's just me across everything. So, like, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, my website even. So, yeah. Turns out Jasmine Taylor is a common name. So I had to have, like, a different username on every platform, and I just – you know, I'm one of those people that I can never remember my password when I have to <laughs> log into things. I just couldn't, it was just doing my head in, trying to remember all these logins. I thought, okay, I'm just going to be, take my nickname, take my sport, done, easy. Yeah, that sounds sensible. Yeah. So, and what about if people want to actually have a go at Telemark? So indoor uh, snow domes in this country, so the likes of the Snow Centre in Hemel Hempstead, um the chill factory in manchester so there are instructors available and equipment available so should anybody want to try they are the perfect places to you know give it a go and equally if they want to give it a go on holiday i think probably a bit of research beforehand because not everywhere has access to equipment so this is part of the part of the uh it's probably the major barrier in getting started in this sport is is tracking down equipment and then also some people to do it with but once you find equipment there's there's normally a telemark community uh you just might have to do some digging if uh if you're looking for people to do it with but often if yeah a resort has equipment they also have instructors they also have people you can go out with and and ski with everybody knows everybody once you get in that community it's 
it's a nice it's a, it's, a, it's like a family in telemark skiing so yeah everyone knows everybody yeah it, i can imagine that once you're in as a as a telemark skier it's it's a nice community to be part of um if everybody's as, as enthusiastic as you anyway yeah no people really people that love it really love it and it's um amazing how how far people will go to help you it's um yeah it kind of does your heart proud it's amazing actually so fabulous so you're training you've got the the world championship so what does your training involve so training well dry land training so off the slopes would involve lots of roller skiing which is like cross-country skiing but on wheels <laughs> which yeah is not very common in this country but when I talk to my Norwegian friends they'll kind of say to me well of course people roller ski you know how else would they get around and I'm like no 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 nobody does that in England you know that's just you look like you're mad so yeah I do a lot of looking mad um roller skiing around the roads in Ipswich um and then do people like, know you now though as like a a local oddity oh yeah she's the girl that does that weird roller skiing yeah they there's I've got a loop and I often see the same people because <laughs> you sort of go out at the same time on the same day so yeah you probably have got a name for myself with a with a couple of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, but that aside we, I do lots of um weight training so strength and power work in the gym running cycling um even trampolining, indoor skiing, climbing, slacklining, anything that just basically offsets your balance or makes you stronger or quicker or fitter or any kind of physical challenge, I'd probably be, probably have done it at some point at least. And then when I'm on snow, we'll free ski, we'll ski gates, which is when you practice going around the flags, um, jumping and, and skating. So plus the gym work and everything else so yeah it sounds exhausting how similar is it to how a, a standard skier would prepare um I would say summer preparation um so an alpine skier would probably have to be stronger than what we would have to be but perhaps not as fit so telemark skiers we need to be strong and powerful but also metabolically so aerobically and anaerobically we need to we need to be very fit because we have to lunge rather than squat so you can imagine it costs a bit more uh aerobic and anaerobic energy uh, and we have to skate as well so again we would do more skate training and more i would say aerobic and anaerobic work but i'm just guessing I, I think it's pro there's probably a lot of similarities though yeah you're you're being very very kind and not sort of saying oh yeah normal skiing is just easy compared to what we do but it, it sounds like it's it's much easier than what you have to do well it's I would say so in Alpine they have to resist much higher forces than what we would have to in Telemark um, so they, they do have to be very strong and very powerful and well balanced. And they'll ski on injected ice, for example. So it's really hard on the body. It really is. And telling Mark, we ski on snow because, well, it's 
it's kind of really difficult to, to telemark ski on ice firstly but also we don't have the need to have it injected they call it inject they call it snow injecting so they'll actually pump water into the slope when it's an alpine world cup so when the skiers ski through the surface is so hard that no rut will build up beside the gate so it, the snow stays fair and even and and rut free for everybody but in telemark we don't have the same numbers uh, and we have slip crew so we're able to keep the competitions fair without having to inject plus there's a huge cost behind injecting water into the slopes anyway so it's all you know a much of a muchness i would say that it's just a slightly different so a recreational telemark skier versus a recreational alpine skier the telemark skier is going to work much harder but honestly at the top end one is not more difficult than than the other they they're both difficult in different ways and if you've spent your whole time training for alpine and then you try and do telemark that's going to be really tough and if you spent your whole time training for telemark and then you do alpine that's going to be really tough so it's yeah i don't know if that yeah, that's the question but yeah no that's good that's really interesting i'm glad you explained a little bit what the injected snow was all about as well um but yeah that was very diplomatic uh, and yeah really interesting what about any disasters you've had have you have you had some epic falls or anything like that i have yeah i actually crashed at the last the last world champs so i'm i'm hoping that you know I managed maybe you shouldn't to... have brought that up yeah i hope i'm just that fake next time honestly but um you know i've had I've, what have i done I've, I've broken my mcl so my um inner lateral knee ligament um that was ski jumping and my elbow i broke my elbow that was years ago when i was skiing in alpine my nose my thumb that kind of thing so yes disasters do strike from time to time but i'm afraid that that is probably the worst part of sport is is when you get injured and yeah although you learn a lot so you always have to try and find the positive but it's pretty difficult when you're injured and and you know it takes a long time to come back that's yeah that's not fun no the the thing you were saying about the injected snow does that the fact that you don't do that in telemark is that better for if you do fall well, because it's injected, it's it's super consistent and smooth as a general rule of thumb. So one gate one should feel a very similar texture surface to gate 23. Whereas when it's natural snow and it's not been manufactured and manicured within an inch of its life, you have bumps, you have ruts, you have the snow will take its own path so that can potentially cause more hazards and trips or accidents but at the same time it's not as rock solid it's a bit more forgiving you know so again i think it's uh you know sort of equals itself out if you know what i mean yeah yeah Right. Well, I think that's been really interesting. I was going to ask you what you love about it, but you seem to love everything about it. Is there is there a particular thing that you, you like most of all? Well, I don't love everything. You know, we drive <laughs> for hours and you're stuck in the back of a minivan. That's not that's not 
brilliant and sometimes you have to get up really early that's not great either and um sometimes you're shattered i don't know it's not absolutely perfect so just so people are aware but what do i love most probably just um just feeling alive on your skis and alive and free if you know what i mean that's the best and you must and you must get to to ski in some incredible parts of the world yeah you do and you meet amazing people and you go on adventures and yeah if i think of all the places i've been and uh cultures people i've met experiences i've had just because i once decided i'd go skiing well my life would look very different without it so yeah it's it's quite cool if you think about it like that yeah it's really cool it's really it's really nice to to meet a a real life sponsored gb athlete who says that sometimes she doesn't like having to get up too early like that feels like it's just yeah yeah <laughs> like inspirational on a level and then also normal being, in a way that i understand yeah it's allowed isn't it you're allowed to just moan about it sometimes i feel like you <laughs> have to pretend everything's perfect <laughs> no i think so i think so um well i'll be i'll look out for uh watching you uh, in your competitions in in the spring and i wish you all the best with your training and yeah hopefully you'll 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 smash it and do really well and stay on your feet um and it's been really nice talking to you and thank you for explaining and being so patient with uh, some of my silly questions oh not at all thank you for having me hannah it was really nice to chat to you and yeah i i know a hundred percent more about telemark skiing than i did an hour <laughs> ago so thank you for that yeah thank you hannah all right take care jazz all the best yeah you too I really enjoyed talking to Jazz and I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. I'd love to know what you think or if there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please email me on live at cicerone.co.uk or leave a review on your podcast platform. You can follow or subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss new episodes or you can sign up to our newsletter for all our latest news, events and guidebooks visit cicerone.co.uk for further details. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, please come and join us on our social channels. We're on all the main ones as at Cicerone Press and we also have a Facebook group, Cicerone Connect, where you can meet and chat to other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you soon. Bye.